Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So I want to wish everybody a happy Father's Day, especially if you guys are watching us online or catching us a little bit later. Um, Just quickly before we dive into the message and wrap up our series, um, the culture would have us believe that um, men are a problem and that masculinity is in fact toxic. And we hear that a lot. You know, like it's time for the guys to sit down, to shut up, to back up, to ease up, to, you know, you guys have dominated and controlled for all this time and now it's time to to ease up and out you know and there's a lot of that conjecture um online i don't hear a lot of that in person i hear it a lot through you know through social media um but on the back end of that i think we forget some pretty jarring things and that and i looked a couple of these up this week and i don't know if you guys are you know this because i didn't know it to this depth but uh, 73% of the people who go missing are men. 87, 87% of those people who identify as struggling to sleep at night are men. 95% of the prison population are men. 72% of those struggling, <clears throat> of those 95% of men, 72% of those are struggling with two or more mental disorders while they're in prison. Men are three times more likely to become alcoholics than women, three times more likely to become drug addicts, twice as likely to become a victim of violent crime. They make up 78% of all suicides, and the majority of all mental illness patients are men. So there is obviously um, not just a, a cultural war on the idea of masculinity and that it needs to change. and. You can't define a man or a woman anymore or anything like that by traditional um, traditional definitions, but there's also a different war that's being fought individually. And the, the men that are a part of this church um, that are fathers, I'm uh, insanely proud of because they example what that faithfulness and commitment to their family and to Christ look like. And so I just want to tell you, I love you. I'm celebrating you today. So grateful for um, the commitment that you show to your families and to us here at the church and um, wishing all you guys a happy Father's Day and uh, food at my house after service. Ba-boom! Okay. <clears throat> all right. So um, we're going to continue on and wrap up our series this week on what the Bible says about money. If you missed the first two messages, the first one was about the biblical um, definition and history and background of tithing. And if you think, man, I've heard all the tithing messages before, you may be surprised where we landed on that one. So I want to encourage you to go back and hear that one. Last week was about the heart of the giver. It is the most important thing more than what you give, the heart of the giver that is present. That is the most important thing that's outlined in Scripture. And now there's another practical thing that we're going to review today when it comes to what the Bible says about money and how we're supposed to handle it. So I'm going to start reading Matthew 25, 14 through 29 out loud in your hearing. You can follow along in your notes. And it's this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, You gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibility. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. 
I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the, with the ten bags of silver. To those who do well with what they are given, even more will be given, and they will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from whom those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, traditionally, when this is, I've heard this preached in church, this focuses on the money aspect of this story. That is not the point of this story. The point of the story is not about the money that's invested and taking your money and flipping it and doubling it and, you know, showing that you're a savvy investor. That's not the point of the story. And you might go, well, Matt, they talked about, you know, this is Jesus talking and he talks about, you know, bags of money. It's a whole thing. Right. How do you know it's not really about the money? First scripture we read, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by this story. This is talking about the kingdom of heaven, not about how we go about investing money. Now, Scripture has one interpretation, but many applications. It has one meaning, but it can be applied in several different ways. We have to be careful when people ask us the question, what does this Scripture mean to you? It does not matter what it means to you. It matters what it means. And then how can it apply to you? There's one definition, one interpretation, one meaning of Scripture, and then the rest of it is application. There, there can be many applications for that one thing. That's what we're seeing here. We are seeing here Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven. Is the kingdom of heaven based on money? No. Y'all can feel free to talk back to me. It's just us here tonight. Okay. The kingdom of heaven is not based on money, right? Right. What is it based on? What is, what is God's ultimate purpose? Somebody shout it out to me. What's God's ultimate purpose? The what? The people that make it to heaven. Right? To be to avoid hell, to avoid destruction, and spend eternity with him. Okay? Can you stuck in the back? There should be a lot of questions thrown at you tonight. Okay. So he's not the, the whole point of this story is not the money. He used the money to illustrate the point. The point is he gave his servants something to manage, to navigate. He gave them this bag of silver. He gave them this and they they made a return that was given back to the master. Does God need your money? No, he does not need your money. He has all the money he ever needs. If he needs anything, he's not God. He is self-sufficient. He doesn't need your money. So what he's talking about here in this passage, it's the kingdom of heaven is, is, is illustrated in this story. The master gives his servants, that's all the believers, gives them and trusts them with gifts, money, responsibility, talents, whatever. And then you are supposed to use those things to bring a return to the master who is God. And those things are presented back to him. It's not money. It's how are you caring for other people? How are you caring for other believers? How are you giving to the poor? How are you reaching other people with the gospel? How are you letting your light shine before men. That's the entire point of the story. But there's a bunch of applications here that we can use when it comes to how we see what we've been given and what we're supposed to do with it financially. The story is about the kingdom of heaven, but there are principles that can apply to us that are in addition to that meaning. You follow me? So let me, let's look at three things about the story. First line in your notes. What the servants had was given to them by the master. What the servants had was given to them by the master. Next line. That means the servants were not the source of their gifts. 
they were stewards of them. The servants were not the source of their gifts. They were stewards of them. Last, and then the next, the third bullet point there in your notes. The returns on investment were given back to the master. Were given back to the master. It's very important that we understand before we go any further in this message, this truth. You are not the source of what you have. You are not the source of what you have. God is the source. He is the one who gave it to you. You might say, well, Matt, I went to work. Matt, I found the job. I had to apply. I had to study. I had to be trained. I had to go to school, whatever, to get this job. And now that I have this job, I'm making money. I did all of that. Who gave you the ability to process the information to handle that job? Who gave you the ability to go and work? Who gave you the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual capacity to go do those things? That is a gift to you from God. The gift to you from God. You are not the source of those things. Because if that was the case, if we were the source, I would be playing in the NBA right now. I did not have the skills to do it. I, am, I, I cannot jump. There's an obvious reason for that. I cannot jump high. The, I don't. Um, if I could source my own gift, I would find something that I wanted to do and make myself be able to do it at a high level. I can't do that. I cannot sing like Brian. He's been given a gift. I can't sing like my wife. I can't sing like Jill or Kobe or T or Teresa or Melinda or anybody else here in this church that can sing. I cannot sing like them. They have been given a gift and now it is, what are you going to do with that? Since you're not the source of it, your job is to manage it and steward it well. This includes money. If we change our perspective from what I have is mine to what I have, what I have, I have been given and entrusted with to manage and steward correctly, it changes the way we begin to use that money. Notice what the story said. The master gave, left, and come back, and they had to give an account of what they did with what they'd been given. The implication here is that's going to happen to us. We are going to have to give an answer for what we've done with what we've been given. So if you've been in church for longer than probably 10 minutes, you've heard this word stewardship. And typically, everyone, when you say, well, let me ask you, what do you think stewardship is? Anybody in the room, just shout it out to me. When you hear that word in church, what do you think it means? Caretaker? Okay. Anybody else? What do you think stewardship means? You've heard that your whole life, right? Like if you've been in church for a long time. What do you think stewardship means? Anybody? Any ideas? Manager? Okay. All right. So let's define stewardship. That's what I thought because... We think it just means I got to be good with money and give in the offering. That steward. No. Here we go. Definition of stewardship. Next on your notes. This is the definition of stewardship. The careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. The careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. That's the definition of stewardship now if you are going to be a good steward you are going to have to be good at caring for and being responsible for managing properly what's been entrusted to you everybody understand so we have been given things as people of God, and these are, we've been given the, uh, many things, but they fall in three categories. We're going to list the three categories, but only deal with the last one for, for, the, for the message. But I want to make sure we hit the other two. So next on your notes, what have we been given as servants of God? Number one, time. Time. 
So now let's ask direct questions. Are we stewarding our time correctly? Because you didn't have a say in when your life started. The vast majority of people don't have a say when their life ends. You don't know when the end from the beginning really is. So are you stewarding the gift of time that has been given to you? I saw a meme this week that said, Netflix doesn't cost $17.99, it costs hours of your life. Do we use our time wisely to work hard, serve others, and spread the message of the gospel? Do we use our time for that? Number two, what else have we been given as servants of God? Talents, talents. These are natural abilities that you have been hardwired with that you did not have a say in you getting. We talked about singing. Anybody else tell me another talent besides singing that you see somebody have? Dancing. She didn't even say it. She just went like this. Bam. See, I got that skill. I can't sing, but I can move like a Gumby figure. Right? Anybody else? Anybody else? Another talent? Drawing, painting, right? Another talent? Anybody? Leadership? Processing information? Memory? You know, you ever, I, I work with a guy who remembers everything. I literally asked him, I said, did we get an email about that? He goes, yes, it happened February 2018, I think around the 14th or 15th of the month. And I go back and look in my inbox, and I totally find it on February 15th of 2018. The guy can remember everything. He's got a gift. Those are gifts. You're not responsible for those. You, you, you are not the source of those. We talked about that. So here's the question. Are we stewarding our gifts correctly? Are we using our talents and natural abilities to serve others and promote the gospel? Are we doing that with what we've been given? The third one, number three, treasure. Treasure. I didn't write money because they all start with T if I say treasure, and that's nifty. <laughs> Dad jokes abound here on Father's Day. But um, <clears throat> time, talent, and treasure. So the question number three: Do we steward our treasure, or do we steward our finances correctly? There's only a handful of us in here tonight, and it got really tense in the room. That's the question. Matt, I just took half my rent money, and I met a guy. He told me that in 90 days, he's going to turn half my rent money into $50,000. And I know he just got out of jail, and he's related to a guy named Bernie Madoff, but this guy, he's, 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 he's legit, man. We're going for it. We're, we're going for it. And we lay it out there. Is that being a good steward? Are you managing the money correctly in that scenario? No. How do we know that? Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Now, why does wealth from get-rich-quick schemes disappear quickly? Is it like on a timer? Does it evaporate quicker than other kind of money? No. Because... On the off chance, the fraction of a percentage chance that you made so that you did hit it and you got that $50,000 payout, what do you, go, you are not going to then take that and be conservative on it, right? You are going to try a more risky investment. Again, I hit it once, I'm going to hit it again, and you're going to take risky investments and the odds are going to eat you alive and because you are irresponsible at managing money. Next on your notes, the Bible prioritizes the heart of the giver and the idea of stewardship, the heart of the giver and the idea of stewardship more than instant return investments. It does not matter if you can flip your rent money for five months of rent money because it's probably not going to work. You'll find the exception. You'll find him. The one guy out of a million that it worked for, and then guess what? 
It doesn't work. You never hear the stories of the 999,999 other people that lost. The Bible is focused on your heart as the giver and the stewardship over those things. So do we use our finances to provide for ourselves and our families and propel the work of the message of the gospel? Do we use our money to do that? Or do we look at our money as it's our money, it's mine, and I'm going to help me, me, and me with it again. And then once I'm done helping me, I'm going to help I, I, and I after that. Those are the people that I'm concerned with. Just me. So why are we supposed to steward our finances? Why are we supposed to manage these things well? Is it kind of like, if we don't, God's going to come down here with a, you know, like my, my grandmother used to tell me as a kid, go pick a switch if I was in trouble. But she'd smack me on the butt with it. One time she told me that, and I came back with a piece of pine straw. She was not happy. She went and got a, a switch that was more like a large log that had thorns on it after that. So I learned, don't, be, don't mess with grandma on that one. But why are we supposed to do that? Is God going to look at us that way, pick me a switch, and if you don't do it, I'm going to give you a good lashing, you're going to be in trouble? No, there are benefits to stewarding what God has given us well. We steward our finances for many reasons, and we're going to talk about four of those reasons here in the rest of our time together tonight. And that's this, letter A, to provide for our families. To provide for our families. Everybody talks about providing for your family. This is a God principle. 1 Timothy 5, 7-8. through 8. Listen to what he says here. Give these instructions to the unbelievers. No. Well, who does he say to give the instructions to? The church, the believers in Christ. Give these instructions to them. He's given a long list, and this is just one of them. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. How can you as a believer be worse than an unbeliever? That means you lost your faith. That means you're not going to heaven. That means you're out because you're not caring for your family. It's now salvation and caring for my family. No. What he's saying is there are a ton of people who don't live for God and are unbelievers that take care of their families. That, and people who do that, they look at um, other people, look at them and go, oh, man, it's so good that you do that. That is like a high source of honor for unbelievers. That should be the base level of how we live as Christians. We should not allow unbelievers to take care of their family and us be like, eh, whatever. Now, if you have irresponsible parents that are trying to maintain a lifestyle that's above what they have and they've lost everything, you don't have to go and try to help them maintain this lifestyle. Providing for them means they have their basic necessities met if you have the means to be able to help. Everybody understand that? Does it make sense? Okay. We steward our finances so we can, letter B, give to the poor. Give to the poor. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 1 through 4. This is Jesus talking. Watch out. Don't do your deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, when you see that, that phrase, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, it doesn't mean pull a dollar out of your pocket in your right hand and then hide the left hand behind your back so it can't see you giving to somebody else. This is an illustration, a word picture, a metaphor to say, don't be celebrating your giving publicly out in front of everybody. Because if you do, and people look at you like, that's a good guy, that's the reward you got. Let's bring this a little bit closer to home. 
Um, it's probably that this, here's something that would fall in this that I've seen several times. Taking a picture of the receipt at a restaurant where you just ate and showing that you tipped the waitress some extreme amount of money. Right? Taking a picture of that and putting it all over social media. And what do we do? We justify it. That's what people do. This is what you can do when you live a life that's blessed by God. This is what you can do. You can, you can, you know, tip the entire bill amount. My bill was $100, so I tipped her $100, 100% tip. And this has made this young lady's life. This is what you do when you have the blessing of the finance of the Lord. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag uh, living the blessed life. Hashtag um, go, a giving challenge. Hashtag uh, Olive Garden. If someone sees that online and go, that's cool. That's the reward you just got because you went public with your giving. That's the reward. And I don't know about you, but I think the creator of the universe who made everything, including you and me, I think he knows how to reward me the best. I would rather have him reward me than have a couple of people I don't know hit a like button on my Facebook post. Because I needed, I so needed public affirmation. Somebody look at what I did. This is exactly what he's talking about. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. Oh, let me, back, before I read that passage, just go back to Matthew six one through four. Notice what he said: um, When you give to someone in need, not if, not if, but when. The implication is here you are going to be giving to people in need. It doesn't say when. It doesn't say if. It says when. Proverbs 19, 17. If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Does this mean... Oh, let, me, let me back up. The people who are hijacked by the idea of the prosperity gospel, that the more you serve God, the more you give, the more healthy and wealthy and wise you're going to be and all that, they like to look at the very last part of this passage. He will repay. He's going to repay. He's going to repay. But the focus is not him repaying you. The focus is if you help the poor. If you have a heart of compassion, if you have stewarded what God has given you well, if you have looked on, on em, with eyes of empathy and a heart of, of, um, of love and compassion towards somebody who's in need, and you give to that, it's the same as you lending to God and he's going to take care of you. But in our consumeristic, Americanized, Western culture, we want to look at, oh, if I give there, I get more money back? I was going to give a five to this guy, but I see more homeless people over here. So you get a five, you get a five, you get a five, you get a five. Like Oprah, right? Like you get a car, you get a car, you get a five, you get a five. Because why? I'm getting more back. I'm getting more back. And that is not the focus of what God's telling us. Steward your money so you can give, not so you can be like, ooh, I got more coming back. When does that return come back? Like 72 hours? 96 at the most? When do I get that back? That's not, that's not why we're doing this. Letter C. Another reason that we steward our finances is so we can help fellow believers in need. We can help fellow believers in need. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from his flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit um, eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Here's the part I want us to focus on. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
why is it important for us to take some time and highlight this scripture? Because maybe it's the denomination that I grew up in, because I grew up in denominational churches. But I have been to hundreds and hundreds of churches in almost every state in this nation. Tens of thousands of people, and I've seen people interact um, and have different beliefs about money. And it's almost like the, the people who are in my spot, like a pastor or a, a minister position, is trying to get the people in the audience, give, give, come on, give, tithe, offering, it's not a debt that you owe, it's a seed that you sow, you know, all those kind of things, you know, uh, they, all the little nifty sayings, get, give, 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 we need to support this missionary, support this missionary, set, support this work, we need to keep the lights on in this building and keep paying the rent, we got to pay all the people here, if you want to have good music, you got to give money so we can pay all these guys, because that's the only way they come here, is if we paying them, and, you know, we need to take care of our past and all that kind of stuff, and fine, okay, I get it. But the moment that the person giving can't give and has a need, it's been my experience that the people who are kind of in my, then the church leadership positions go like this. Huh? Wait, you have a need? What do you mean you can't pay your light bill? I thought you had a job. You've been giving. Oh, you lost your job? Oh, downsized? Mm. Okay. We'll pray for you. It's almost like we don't find a way to help the people in need that are fellow believers. It's almost like they kind of get isolated, like, ooh, there's a problem there. Because if you were really doing right, you wouldn't have lost your job, brother. If you're really giving, if you really had, you were really sowing your seeds, and you were really tithing and all that kind of stuff, that you wouldn't have lost it because God would have prevented all that from you. And it's almost like they got this. Ooh. Then later on, I got another job, and it's almost like then they get accepted back into the fold. I'm sure it's not like that everywhere, but I've had a lot of experiences where that is in fact the case. That is in fact the case. Or if they have a, a way to help somebody, they say, hey, uh, fill out this paperwork. I'll be back in five business days to give you an answer, if we can help you. What Paul is saying here is, hey, you're going to have opportunities to help all these people, but you are especially supposed to help the people who are members of your faith community if they have a need, let's get real. You have 40 bucks and you were going to go feed a whole bunch of homeless folks. But you heard that, so in, that somebody in your church, paycheck got delayed and they're, we're supposed to go buy food last week and it's going to be a week late for whatever reason. There's a problem with the bank transfer or the direct deposit and they don't have any food. The $40 should go to them above trying to go and help the homeless. Why? Because you're supposed to do good to everybody. It doesn't mean write off the homeless folks. It means that if you have to give a prioritization between to helping um, the family of faith or someone who's an unbeliever, the family of faith is the one you're supposed to be helping. We are supposed to be a tight-knit community of people who understand what's going on in each other's lives and look out for one another instead of being the, hey man, you good? Good to see you. How's your week? Okay, man. Yeah, let's get together sometime soon. And then never talk to them again until the next week. And you say the same thing. That's not being a community of believers that is coming to the church event and then going home and struggling privately. That's not how this is designed to be. Letter D, we steward our finances. Another reason we steward our finances is so we can reap a harvest. So we can reap a harvest. Reap a harvest. Now, these are um, words that are thrown around in the church world as well. Sowing and reaping. Anybody ever heard that in church before? Everybody in the room. Everybody's nodding. Sowing and reaping. So I heard, um, I've heard many, many people. Many people on television, televangelists, I've heard pastors, I've heard ministers, I've heard missionaries, I've heard all these people try to convince a group of people to give to them by telling them, 
we're good soil to sow in. We're good ground. And it's almost like that statement becomes this contest. Like this church A over here, they reached, you know, 75 people. They got 75 people were saved from their ministry work last, last year. And this church over here uh, had 20 saved. So it's almost like, well, the place that's got 75, that's the place that we should be. That's obviously better soil, right? Because there's more, more harvest over there, right? Not necessarily. When was that ever presented to us by God to treat fellow believers who are in churches reaching people like that? Who's got more? That doesn't sound like the gospel. It sounds like an American gospel. Because we view success in this culture by who has more. Who has more money? They have more power and influence. Who's got more friends? Who's got more cars? Who's got more motorcycles? Who's got more fill-in-the-blank? Our culture views more, more, more as success, and that is not always the case. I got a real good friend who I lived, was um, in Texas. He's actually a, a pastor here in town, um, an executive pastor here in town. And we, would, we were in Texas for a few years, and we'd drive by these massive, massive buildings that were churches. And I'd look at that, and I'd be look at that thing, and he'd tell me, big building, don't me, big church. Big building don't mean big church. And I thought about that every time I drive a big building, and it's the exact truth. Size does not equate to effectiveness. We are not supposed to try to get you to, to convince you. As ministers, we're not supposed to try to convince people who are believers in Christ to go, um, you should give to us because, like, we're all on the same team, but we're better. We're all believers, and we're all trying to reach people for the gospel, but we're, we're much better people than they are. They take a percent off for administration fees, and we give 100% of it. And it's like there's this fight as if there's not enough money in the kingdom of heaven that God cannot meet all of our needs. So if that's not really what sowing and reaping is, what is sowing and reaping based on the Bible? Biblical sowing and reaping, 2 Corinthians 9, 6-11. Now, before we read this, before we read this passage, I read this entire passage, 1-15, through 15, last week. It's talking about being a cheerful giver and, and people giving money to, um, to the other believers in Jerusalem and all that, right? Remember that? This is a portion of that scripture that I want to focus on this week. Ready? 2 Corinthians 9, 6-11. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Let me say that again. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. How our Americanized culture wants to read this is God's the one who plants or who gives us the seed. And in the same way, he'll increase our resources. I want my resources increased. Woohoo! And then he's going to produce a great harvest where I'm going to be a millionaire. Oh, wait a minute. The harvest is generosity growing in you. So when he says give, he has given you the seed. 
you are supposed to be responsible and stewarding that seed correctly and well. And then when you go and give that seed away, you're investing it in some other and, 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 and giving to the poor, giving to people who are in need, providing for your family. And when you do that, he's going to give you more because the generosity in your heart begins to grow and he knows you're going to spread this out to other people. So, when he says that we're going to reap what, we, what we're sowing, if you sow more and you give more and you have a heart of generosity, he's going to give you more so you can give that away too and provide for your family. He's going to give you more in that scenario, but the focus is not getting more. Again, the focus is, is my heart right? Is my heart right? And am I using what I've been giving correctly? So, being a steward means we're maximizing what we have been given. So, these are the reasons that we just talked about. There's four major reasons why we steward. So now let's talk about a practical application of stewardship. Next line of your notes. One practical way we can steward finances correctly is to create and follow a budget and financial plan. A budget and financial plan. Have you ever... You don't have to admit this out loud. I'll admit it for everybody. Have you ever paid all your bills it's a couple days before payday, and you go, oh, if I remember correctly, all the things I spent, I should probably have about 200 bucks left in the bank. And then you open up the bank app, and you look in it, and all of a sudden you realize there's $27 left, not 200 And you're shocked. You ever had that happen? Or am I the only one? I'm the only one? I'm the only one that'll admit it. Okay, it happens to me. And so I looked at that and went, I thought I had 200 bucks. I had some plans for that 200 bucks. I was going to take Nina out on a date. Now we're going through, you know, the four for four over a Wendy's, <laughs> you know, so we don't go over a budget here. So, you know, what are we going to do? Oh, dang it, where did that money go? And then I start scrolling through my app or my account and go, oh, I forgot. I got tired one night and I said, I don't want to cook. So I just went out to go eat. And I didn't want to pack my lunch. Or I get tired of being, I work at home for the last two years because of all the stuff that's going on with the lockdowns and stuff. So I don't want to, I don't want to be here, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go out for lunch because I don't want to be in the house anymore. I need fresh air, right? Like, I need to just get out of the house. And it's, it's, it's mental health. It's for my mental health, right? It's for my own sanity. And we make up all these, oh, I forgot. I went bowling with three other people and picked up the whole tab last week. That's where all this money went. You know what I mean? Like, why? So we have to be sure that we're budgeting along a financial plan because, here's a great quote from Dave Ramsey, if you tell your money where to go, you'll never have to wonder where it went. If you tell your money where to go, you'll never have to wonder where it went. So now, I almost took these questions out of the message. Because if you're someone who struggles on the, the stewardship or the finance or budgeting end, I'm not trying to rain down on you, but I'm gonna, I, I left them in here because I feel compelled to. And I'll tell you why. Let's read through these three questions. Are we eating our own seed? Are we eating our own seed? Matt, what do you mean by that? So I've helped several dozen people through the process of getting on a budget and trying to give them goals to, to help. I just love trying to help people along those ends. I had to learn it the hard way. Nobody taught me. I had to learn myself, and so I like passing along that knowledge to help people steward their finances correctly. And I was meeting with, um, I was meeting with a couple who, you know, we were going through this, and, you know, I, and um, it, was a, it was a long, it was years ago. And... Um, I said, before, before we get together and talk about all your, your, um, your line items, you know, on your budget and all that stuff, I want you to do me a favor. Go back for the last year at your bank 
and get all your bank statements. And all I want you to do is highlight with a highlighter or underline or circle or whatever, just highlight all the times you went out to eat and bought groceries that month. And so they went and highlighted all these things and then they brought them the, you know, the number for month one, month two, month three, and I added them all up. And at the end of adding those up, that number was over $15,000. So when they, they didn't, they weren't telling their money where to go, so they were wondering how come we don't have any money, so then we just highlighted I'm not talking about like I bought a skateboard or I went bowling or I'm not talking about entertainment or anything. I'm just talking about eating out. It's more than $15,000. And I said, what's the number one need in your life right now? And they said, our car is falling apart and we want to figure out, can we afford, afford one? How much money, I asked this question, how much money were you planning on spending on a car? And they said 12 to 14,000 bucks. And just instantly it kind of fell out of my mouth. I just said, oh, well, you ate your car. And they looked at me and like just the, the color went out of their face, right? Like, <clears throat> and once you realize and you give an account for what you've been spending and doing, you look at it a whole lot, of, a whole different. Because had they saved that money, they could have bought the car for cash without a loan and still had more than $3,000 left over. But because they weren't paying attention, and look, I'm not trying to bust on them. I'm just saying a lot of us don't pay attention. I got a card. Swipe that sucker. It doesn't go through. Give me, I got another one. We'll swipe that one. And we'll figure it out later. We have to be better stewards of what we have been entrusted with. Are we eating the seed God has given us? Let's drill down on that question a little bit further. The next question, are we consuming our abundance, the extra that we have, or are we using it to sow into those who have needs? I'm not talking about you got to cram your budget down to the penny and then be like, every cent over this, I have to give away. No, but you have to have a plan and figure out how can I be involved to help people who have needs. Because everything I'm given is not just for me. God's given me seed. I want to make sure I'm not eating that seed or planting it and then harvesting it only for myself. And this is the question that I struggle with the most, but it's probably because it's the most direct. But here we go. Are we not able to give to others financially because we don't steward our finances correctly? I'm not asking you to answer this question to me today in writing. <laughs> what I'm asking is you to think about it in your own heart. And this is going to take an insane amount of brave honesty with yourself to answer this question. When I'm talking about giving, I'm not talking about the amount you're giving. If you do your budget and it comes down to where you have $12 left and that's all I can give because of my responsibilities and my house payment and electric and I got kids and different responsibilities, I understand. Start with the 12 bucks. Why? God, you have given me it looks like 12 little extra seeds. That's all I got. I'm still going to give these to you. I'm not going to bury them in the ground thinking that it's nothing. I'm not talking about wait till you got a thousand extra dollars a month. So then you can make a real difference. No, I'm talking about start where you are with what you've been given. Why? Because the ones in the story that we read at the beginning out of the, out of the book of Matthew, that story... He didn't ask them, give me percentages on what you gave and all that kind of stuff. They took what they had. They invested it in a return. 
for the master. And he said, because you've been faithful with these things, not the money, the responsibility, I will give you more responsibility. The seed and abundance and extra that you've been given is actually a responsibility test. What am I doing with it? There's an old saying, it's the last line in your notes, that we're blessed to be a blessing to others. We are not blessed so we can flaunt our earthly success to people we don't know on the internet. I want people to know I got it like that. Okay. That probably means there's some stewardship challenges going on inside. <clears throat> Let me tell you a quick story before we wrap up here. It's a story that I heard several years ago. I actually read it. The Queen of England uh, used to, many years ago, like to go for walks early in the morning. There wasn't a lot of people out. Most people were still sleeping, and so she would walk throughout different areas of the city, and then sometimes she would walk kind of on the outskirts so she could see all of the nature, the grass, the sunrise, the, the dew on the, on the bushes and the flowers and things. And so one morning she was out walking, and as happens very frequently in England from time to time, a, a storm blew and it started raining, and she was out in the rain. <clears throat> she was pretty far from the palace and didn't know what to do, and so she looked off in the distance and saw this little cottage that had a porch on it, and so she quickly made her way to the cottage and climbed up on the porch. She waited for a minute and was looking at the sky and hoping that it would pass, and she's trying to be real quiet in case the people inside were still sleeping. And when she realized it wasn't going to pass and she was stuck out in this rain, she decided, I'm going to see if these guys are awake. And so she knocks on the door. She thought she heard something, but didn't couldn't really see if anyone was home, and so she waited a few moments, and then again she knocks on the door. And then she heard stuff, a whole lot of stuff, a lot of shuffling around, angry tones of a voice, a couple of vague curse words here and there. And then one last time she knocked again, and then the voice from inside, Stop it! I'm on my way! Stop knocking, I'm coming. Jeez, give me a second. He walks up to the door and he opens the door, but he doesn't open it far enough to see who's on his porch. He just opens it about an inch and angrily says, you woke me up, what do you want? Queen says, I'm, I'm very sorry to disturb you, sir, but I was out walking this morning and got caught in the rain and I don't have a way to get back um, without being drenched. Would you mind if I borrowed an umbrella from you? And I promise you, I'll give you my word that I'll return it to you after I get home and the storm is done. The angry man inside is like, is that what you woke me up for? Get a stinking umbrella? I was knocked out asleep in my bed and you're beating on my door because you were dumb enough to walk out here without an umbrella and now you want me to give you one? I'm, I'm very sorry, sir. If you just let me borrow one, I promise I'll give it back to you. Just hold on a second. Slams the door. He goes back inside. He wrote, rummages through his big old stack of umbrellas that are by the door and he opens the door, throws one out and goes, there, leave me alone. Do not knock on this door again. Slams the door, starts cursing and goes back to bed. The queen, th thank you, sir, sorry to bother you, picks up this umbrella, and it's the most raggedy, bent, broken, tattered, ripped-up umbrella you've ever seen. She bends it out and finds a spot that would cover at least her head and takes that umbrella 
a janky old nasty broken down umbrella and walks home with that thing covering her head. A couple hours later, the storm passes and um, the cool of the night begins to set in and this man who was woken up by the queen, but he didn't know it was the queen, goes and sits on his porch. Going to enjoy the evening, watch the sunset. Not many houses around him, so he knows all his neighbors and he sees off in the distance down the road, he sees... Is that the royal palace guard coming down the road? Those are the soldiers that are up at the queen's palace. Are those guys coming down our road? Man, I wonder who's in trouble today. Where are they going? I knew Janice down the way. She was trouble. I bet they're coming for her. Because, oh, man, I heard some stories about Janice. And then to his surprise, they get closer and closer and closer, and then his anxiety level starts to rise higher and higher as they stop in front of his home. And the chief guard begins to walk up his path to his home. And now the man is, what is going on here? So he walks down the steps and he sees the soldier and he says, uh, yes, sir. Can I help you? And he said, earlier today, a young woman was caught in the storm and sought refuge on your, on your porch. Yes, sir. That woman asked if she could borrow a umbrella, and you gave her one. Yes, sir. Is there a problem? From behind the soldier's back, he pulls out that broken, ripped, tattered umbrella and says, the queen promised you this morning that she would return the umbrella. She gave you her word that she would bring the umbrella back to you that you allowed her to borrow. And then the, all of the lights started clicking on in the man's head. Oh my gosh, the queen was on my porch. Oh my goodness, I didn't even open the door and look at her. Oh my goodness, I gave her this broken down umbrella. And for this few seconds, this soldier and this man were looking at each other, knowing exactly how embarrassing this was for him. And as he handed the umbrella to him, the queen would like to thank you for your hospitality this morning. And as he turned to leave, the man dropped his head in shame and disgust with himself. The head soldier went back to the queen and reported that they had in fact returned the umbrella. And she said, well, did he say anything to you? He said, he didn't say anything to me. But as I turned to leave, I heard him whisper these words. Had I only known it was her, I would have given her my best. Had I only known, I would have done something different. Had I only known, I would have acted differently. Had I only known, I would have approached the situation much differently. What I want for every single person at RCC and whoever will listen to this message or watch it later is this. I do not want to any of us to stand before God. I don't want any of us to stand before him to give an account for what we've been given. How did we steward and use what we have been given and us look at him and go, had I only known. I would have done something different. 
Had I only known that this was coming, had I only known that what I had was in mine, had I only known that I was being entrusted with something to steward, had I only known that I was actually stewarding the resources that God gave me, had I only known I was going to have to give an account for this later in my life, had I only known I would have done something different, I do not want us to be those people. Jesus gives a very clear, definitive answer of how money should be prioritized in our life. Luke 12, 21. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. A person is a fool to have a lot of earthly wealth, but not a rich relationship with God. We are supposed to steward what we have been given so we can provide for our family, so we can give to those who have needs. We can help people that are members of our faith community, other believers. We can help give to them in times of need, and we can so reap a har harvest of generosity, and then when God gives us more, we can take care of our family better, and we can give more to the people who need it. Why? As a representative of a giving God, we can give to those who have needs. You need a budget. You need a financial plan. And we need to do that 